0: Welcome to the audio channel of the Reverend Dr. C.H.E. Sadoffel. His purpose is to preach Christ, teach the Bible, and make disciples. Now let us open our Bibles and our hearts as we listen to him proclaim the Word of God. Church, I would invite the congregation to please stand and turn to Psalm chapter 10, verse 1 as we will first pray and then read the word of God. Psalm chapter 10, verse 1. Let us pray. And now we humble ourselves before God Almighty, whose grace has gifted us and whose love has saved us. Patiently now we wait for thee. You were as a lamb to our paths and a light to our feet. May the Holy Spirit strengthen his servant to deliver a word of truth so that many to Jesus will come and meet. Amen. Psalm chapter 10, verse 1. The text says, Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Please be seated. So church, this morning, our focus is very narrow. We're going to focus only and exclusively on the first verse of Psalm number 10. But I want to give you a big picture of what Psalm number 10 is about overall. Psalm number 10 is a prayer that prays for the overthrow of the wicked. Psalm number 10 prays for the overthrow of the wicked because in Psalm number 10, the righteous are being oppressed by the wicked. And as a result, the Psalmist cries out to the Lord, The one who vindicates the oppressed, as Psalm 1018 tells us. Now, in a nutshell, that's what Psalm number 10 is. But telling you what it's about, that's the easy part. The hard part is experiencing and living under the scenario that Psalm number 10 describes. You see, in Psalm number 10, the wicked are not ignorant. The wicked actually know God. They know who he is. They know what is right. They know what is wrong. But in spite of that, they have cursed God and purposefully turned away from him. The wicked in Psalm number 10 are practical atheists, meaning they live as if God does not exist. They live without thinking about consequences. They live without regard to human life. They live never considering that what they do causes pain, sorrow, and grief. Psalm number 10, verses 8 to 11, tells us what the wicked do. The text says, he, the wicked, sits in the lurking places of the villages, in the hiding places, he kills the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the unfortunate. He lurks in a hiding place as a lion in his lair. He lurks to catch the afflicted. He catches the afflicted when he draws him into his net. He crouches, he bows down, and the unfortunate fall by his mighty ones. He says to himself, God has forgotten, he has hidden his face, he will never see it. Now what all of this does is create a world for the psalmist that is hard to live in. And when the psalmist looks in and around himself, he feels sadness, confusion, and despair. And as a result, the first thing the psalmist asks God is, Why, God, why? The first word of Psalm number 10 is why. Psalm number 10 is written by a grieving heart seeking clarity about life when life does not make any sense. It's written by a heart that doesn't know what to say other than to ask God, why? God, why me? God, why my family? God, why my church? God, why my friends? God, why my house? God, why now? Why does it have to be right now? God, why this way? God, why did you let this happen? Why, God, why? Why is a question that's been asked by individuals for thousands of years. And using Psalm number 10, this morning we're going to search for a biblical answer. We're not going to search for the biblical answer. We're going to search for a biblical answer. So the psalm begins, Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Here's the first point. This morning, we're going to keep it simple. We're not going to have 10 points. We're not going to have 7 points. We're going to have 3 points. Here's point number 1. In times of trouble, point number 1, asking God why is not a sin. That's because asking God questions is not the same as questioning God. Point number one, in times of trouble asking God why is not a sin. That's because asking God questions is not the same as questioning God. Here's reality. In times of trouble, some people don't even make it to the Bible. Some people don't make it to church. Some people don't speak to their local person and church leadership. Some folks don't even make it to the Bible. Some people make it to the Bible, but they don't open it. And then there are other people who make it to the Bible. They open it, and they read it, but they stop at Psalm chapter 9, verse 20, because they're fearful. They're hesitant to ask God why. They think that asking God questions is the same as questioning God, but asking God questions is not the same. In fact, church, asking God questions is biblical how do we know that what's happening here in psalm number 10 verse 1 the psalmist is asking god a question if the psalmist is david then we know a man after god's own heart is asking god a question if the psalmist is not david recorded in the inerrant, infallible Word of God is someone asking their maker a critical, probing question. John the Baptist, from the lips of Jesus, was the greatest man who ever lived. What does he do in Luke chapter 7, verse 19? He sends his disciples to ask Jesus a question. He sends them to ask Jesus, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? In Acts chapter 9, verse 5, the man called Saul, who would later be named the Apostle Paul, is met by Jesus on the road to Damascus. And what does he say? He doesn't know who he's seeing, so he says, Who are you, Lord And then, of course, in Matthew 27, verse 46, God asks God a question. And Jesus says to his Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So it's A-OK. it is biblical to ask God questions. But be mindful, church, that the tone of your question matters. The tone of your question matters. There's a difference between saying, God, why did you choose to do it this way? From a posture of genuine, childlike faith and humility, there's a difference between saying, God, why did you do it this way? Versus, God, why did you do it that way? The tone of the first question comes from a posture of humility and faith. The tone of the second question comes from a posture of judgmental arrogance that thinks, it's, that thinks it knows better than omniscience. And as, and as a result, the tone of the second question is actually questioning God. And it goes without saying, church... That questioning God goes to bed with unbelief. And everything that is not of faith is sin. Now why does the psalmist ask why? What does verse number one say? Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Why is the psalmist asking God why? He's asking God why because God seems to be far away. God seems to be hiding himself. Now on the one hand, when God seems to be far away, we have to examine ourselves because unbelief can actually make God seem farther away than he actually is. What happened in Luke chapter 4? At the end of Luke chapter 4, when Jesus was in the synagogue on the Sabbath in the church at Nazareth, no one in the church at Nazareth believed Jesus. Jesus was literally near. He was right next to people. You could reach out and touch God, but the people didn't believe him. And even though God was right there in their midst, the people were complaining and grumbling. So what ends up happening as a result of the people's unbelief? God literally left town. God literally left the church at Nazareth and went down to Capernaum. And the people in the church at Nazareth, because of their unbelief, were complaining when God was actually right there. So on the one hand, church, whenever God seems to be far away, we have to examine ourselves first because unbelief can distance ourselves from God. and unbelief that pushes God away is dangerous because guess what? If God isn't near to you, the devil is. And if the devil is near and darkness is near, sooner or later, sin will run its course. Wherever there is an absence of light, there is darkness. So the psalmist asks, why? Because God seems far away. On the other hand now, God is our father. And when a child of God earnestly comes before him in childlike faith and says, Abba Father, please help me to understand, God does not rebuke his child. God may not give us a verbal answer, God may simply strengthen our heart, but when we come before him in childlike faith, even if God does give us an answer that blows our mind, our response is going to be, God, I trust you. Now when the Psalmist asks God why, he does not forsake God of abandoning one of his own. The Psalmist's primary concern is God, why is it that you seem to be so far away when all of my troubles are near? And we know the Psalmist asks God a question out of faith because guess what? as i said at the top psalm number 10 is a prayer who is the psalmist praying to god if the psalmist actually thought that god was out of reach that God was way out of reach of prayer, that God was really hiding and concealing himself, then Psalm number 10 wouldn't exist. Then the psalmist would not be praying to God. The psalmist is asking God a question and praying to him because the psalmist knows that God can help. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? The psalmist's main concern, church, is not that he is experiencing a time of trouble. It's not the presence of trouble. The psalmist's main concern is the seeming absence of God. And here's the irony about life when God seems to be far away, the righteous cry, the righteous lament, And they say, why, God, why are you standing afar off? When God seems to be far away, the wicked rejoice. Because that's what the rest of Psalm number 10 is going to describe. A people who think God has forgotten. A people who think God is far away. They live by the mantra, there is no God. And now they have fun thinking that God has simply looked at them and said, never mind. So I say all of this to say, church, asking God questions is not a sin. Instead, it's simply the humble attempt by a creature to understand and interpret reality with God at the center. Now we know with our minds why the psalmist is asking why. But now we have to feel with our hearts what the psalmist is saying. We have to get inside the heart of desolation that is crying out to God. The psalmist says, why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Afar off comes from a Hebrew word that does refer to distance and space in someone being a far distance away. But this word is also used to refer to distance in time. For in Isaiah 20 11, this word is translated long ago. This understanding is pressing because sometimes, church, God may not only seem to be far away, it may seem like the trial that you're in began an eternity ago. This understanding is pressing because God may not only seem to be far away, it may seem like it's been forever since you felt the assurance of the Holy Spirit. The Psalmist cries out and he doesn't call God an absentee father. He doesn't call God a loser. He calls God Lord, and this is why his heart hurts so much, because the psalmist knows God is Lord. He knows God is Yahweh. He knows God is his Father, and as a child sees his Father standing far away, he wants to know, why God, why? You are my Father. Why are you standing afar off? And here's the irony. Someone who's standing isn't moving. Someone who's standing isn't drawing close to you. You can actually see them standing still in place, and they're not doing anything. And what hurts the psalmist's heart is he can see his father there, standing, not moving, knowing if his father was simply here, the times of trouble would not be so troublesome. The psalmist also says, God, why are you hiding? Here's the irony, church. You only know someone is hiding if you know they're there, but they're concealing himself. And that's what makes this trial, that's what makes God's seeming absence so troublesome. He says, God, I know you're there. I know you are the God of the universe, but why are you standing afar off? Why are you hiding yourself? It's like someone who keeps a secret from you and they're not telling you information on purpose. But even more than that, the psalmist asks, why do you hide yourself in times, not time, in times of trouble? Times of trouble, Church, are the most troublesome, not just because God seems not to be there, because the time of trouble seems to happen at the most inopportune time. And this is the heart of desolation. This is the brokenness. This is the yearning of the psalmist's heart that cries out to his father. Now, church, we all have natural senses. We all have spiritual senses as well. But in spite of all of this, what the psalmist's spiritual heart does is it compels him to do what? To trust God and simply pray to him. He responds by faith in praying to God. Because here's the reality, church. Although God may seem to be far away at times, God is what? Omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere all the time. So God can never actually go anywhere. But what prayer does is it whisk into shape. It enlivens our spiritual sense of God's presence. So our hearts will now be awakened and open to the reality that God is actually right there. Even when God seems far away, what draws us near is prayer. And we know that by God's grace, the prayer of Psalm number 10 was effectual because this Psalm begins on a tone of discouragement and despair. It ends in a tone of confident hope. Because by God's ordinary means of grace of prayer, The psalmist was drawn closer to his father. And if you're asking yourself, why is it that God works this way? The answer is simple. When he oftentimes allows one of his children to experience a felt separation from him, and they cry out to him in prayer, God now draws you in closer than you were before. Because now that heart of desolation yearns, hungers, and cries out, God. So the first point is asking God why is not a sin. That's because asking God questions is not the same as questioning God. Here's the second point. Not asking God why is dangerous. Not asking God why is dangerous. Why? Because if you don't go to God for an answer whatever response you get is not godly not asking why is dangerous why because if you don't go to god for an answer whatever response you get is not godly turning to god for answer simply means we turn to his word, we search the scriptures, we turn to prayer, you turn to a local church leader, you turn to another child of God who perhaps is more senior than you, or who has gone through a particular situation that you haven't, and those are godly sources to turn to. But if you don't turn to those sources, who else are you going to turn to? your feelings, your past, Google, other people who don't know Christ, you'll turn to practical atheists, you'll turn to other Christians who have a superficial understanding of the faith because they never ask God why, or you may even turn to a servant of Satan. So if you're not asking God, the responses you get are not going to be Godly, which means the answers for why that you now get are not only going to be wrong, those answers by design are going to nudge you towards greater and greater unbelief. And now the gap, now the separation that you thought existed between you and God is now going to become more real and wider and wider. So not asking God why is dangerous, why? Because if you don't go to God for an answer, whatever response you get is not godly. Now we began this morning asking the question why? And as of right now in the sermon, we don't yet have a clear answer as to why the predicament in Psalm number 10 is happening. It's not specific all we know globally is that the sovereign god of the universe is allowing this predicament to happen for a reason so now let's get more precise why does god allow times of trouble why does god allow times of trouble i'm going to give you three big reasons before i give you a specific one why does god allow times of trouble The first reason is negative. He allows times of trouble so that he can correct you. It's not so much, church, that God allows a time of trouble as it is that sometimes we get ourselves into trouble. We dig the ditch that we subsequently fall into because of our sin. And God will now allow us to experience the consequences and the effects of our own iniquities so that we can see where turning away from God leads us so we'll never walk that path again. As Hebrew 12 tells us, as a loving father, God chastises and corrects those who are his own the second reason why God allows time of trouble this is the neutral reason it's because church we live in a broken world and times of trouble are common meaning that's what life is it If you're a human being living on planet Earth, every now and then you're going to experience a time of trouble because it's common to human experience. So if you are undergoing a time of trouble, congratulations, you are not the first person to go through this. When someone comes into the office and they say, Dr. Sadafal, I have a cold, my response now is silence. Because if you have a common cold then common sense tells you that a common cold commonly goes away in a couple of days. Do you need a medical doctor? No. Do you need any medication? No. You all you need is to relax, take it easy, take some vitamin C and you'll be fine. The common cold is nothing special. It's Common. So when we as Christians undergo times of trouble, that's simply the card that God allows us to endure. And if you read the Bible, what you will never find is a genuine servant of God who lived a conflict-free life. The third reason why God allows time of trouble is a positive reason. It's fatherly care. God may actually allow you to go through a rough patch in life so you grow, so you grow up, so you go from being a baby to a grown adult. Because of his fatherly care church, the only people God truly leaves alone in life are the wicked but he refuses to leave alone those who he cares for. And the reality is if God held us like a baby over and through every storm in life, we would never grow. As Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, quote, the refiner is never far from the mouth of the furnace when his gold is in the fire. And the Son of God is always walking in the midst of the flames when his holy children are cast into them. End quote. So generally speaking, why does God allow times of trouble? Negative reason, correction. Neutral reason, it's common. Positive reason, fatherly care. Now let's get more specific. I'm not going to give you the answer, but a answer. And here is the third and final point. Why does God allow times of trouble? Because there is an experience of divine love that is only revealed in times of trouble. Because there is an experience of divine love that is only revealed in times of desolation. Now we're gonna jump now to John chapter 11. We're gonna take the long way around, go to John chapter 11 and end up back in Psalm 10 because John chapter 11 is gonna give us clarity in interpreting Psalm 10. So what happens in John 11? In John 11, Jesus begins that chapter literally afar off. Jesus is in one place. Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, they're in another place. Lazarus, someone who Jesus loves, gets sick. Messengers are sent who say, Hey, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. You know what Jesus does? Nothing. He stays exactly where he is. What happens? Lazarus dies, putting Lazarus and putting his two sisters, Martha and Mary, into a time of trouble. They're grieving, they're sad, they're sorrowful. But John chapter 11 ends by what? Jesus coming near, doing a miracle, saying, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus is risen from the dead. So here's what John chapter 11, verses 1 to 6 says. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Mary. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. That event happens in the next chapter, John 12. So the sister sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Stop. Jesus loves this entire family, Lazarus and his two sisters. Now, watch this. This little word, so, gives us a reason or a purpose. Jesus loves Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, because Jesus loved this family, what did he do? When he heard that Lazarus was sick, Jesus then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Because of Jesus' love for this family, he stayed afar off and didn't do a thing. Jesus loved this family, so he purposefully did not move when he became aware that Lazarus was sick. He purposefully allowed the man that he loved to die. He purposefully allowed Lazarus' sisters to undergo the pain of loss. And to top it all off, Jesus was literally afar off and purposefully concealing himself while Lazarus and family were in Bethany, And he wasn't. And God did all of this out of love? Yes. Why, God, why? What John chapter 11 shows us, church, is that because of divine love, God allows us to go through times of trouble so that out of love, here's the reason, so that out of love, God can reveal his glory to us. In other words, because God loves his children, he lets us suffer so that he can show us more love by revealing his glory. What does Jesus say in John chapter 11, verse 4? Before Lazarus passes, he says this sickness is not to end in death. So how will it end, verse 4? It will end but for the glory of God so that the son of god may be glorified by it wait a minute the point of this family's time of trouble was not the time of trouble the point of lazarus's sickness was not sickness the point of death was not death from the mouth of god himself He tells us the explicit reason why this time of trouble was allowed to happen was for God and his glory, specifically the glory of the Son. Yes, God could have operated in a different way, but he didn't. Why? Because according to the loving, gracious, all-knowing God, The way reality had to happen, the way things had to pan out to maximize God's glory was through a time of trouble. And what John chapter 11 shows us is that the end result of everything, when the time of trouble was over, what do we have? We have a risen Lazarus, we have a Martha and a Mary who are all glorifying God. Specifically, what they are doing is they are exalting Jesus Christ for who he really is. Because who is the God who came near and changed everything? Jesus Christ. Jesus was the one who brought the dead man back to life and he turned He completely transformed a season of lament and sorrow into a season of glorifying God. Jesus even says the point of John number 11 is not death. It's not Lazarus. It's not Martha. It's not Mary. It's not distance. The point of John number 11 is Jesus himself. Verses 20 through 26 say, Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. why god allows times of trouble church is for his glory and why is god's glory so important because god is the point of everything god is the center of the universe everything the christian does In his or her life is for the glory of God Romans 5 verses 6 to 11 what does Isaiah 43 7 say we were made for God's glory what's the point of this sermon it's not to give you answers to why it's for the honor and glory of God why does your life matter It's not about who you are. It's not about titles. Your life matters because it's an instrument and vessel for God's glory. What's the point of the church, your job, your family? Why do the righteous suffer for the glory of God? And how does God's love relate to his glory? Because when God pours out his love into one of his own, the result now is that God reveals his glory to us. So now we do what? We glorify God. We glorify God because now we see God as God. We appreciate him for who he truly is. And when we finally now see God, as the most precious treasure and the most beautiful reality in the universe. Our experience now is saturated with who? God. So yes, you may be in a time of trouble, yes, Your earthly situation may be desolate, but if God reveals his heart, his love, and reveals his glory to you, now your heart is filled with God. And when you have God's glory being revealed to you in a time of trouble, that time is no longer troublesome. So when we now take a step back and look at what happened to Lazarus now in John chapter 11, Jesus may have began that narrative far away only to do what? To come close to reveal his glory and to comfort the oppressed and the afflicted. Church in times of trouble, we begin letting go of all those other things we, th- we thought were important, and we finally begin to see the one who truly matters, who is Jesus Christ. Because guess what? If all those other things could actually help you in times of trouble, it wouldn't be a time of trouble. So what God does by his grace is he now allows you, he allows your palpable human experience to value him much, much higher and put a lower premium on everything else. And by God pouring out his love into us in the depths of desolation, we now trust God and no longer view him as marginal. So as a result, we hold on and we see the worthlessness of everything else. We don't trust them and we let go. God allows us to experience his deepest love in times of trouble. God allows us to experience his deepest love in times of desolation. That sounds weird. Yes, I know, because we live in a world where love is defined as protecting someone from adversity. Love is defined as preventing someone from experiencing pain. Love is defined as allowing that person to experience reality the way they want to. Yes, this divine love sounds weird or alien because God is not of this world. God is not earthly. God is divine. He is holy, meaning he is heavenly. He is separate. He's other. So if we have an earthly conception of love, truly divine love is going to seem alien to us. But church, God is the most precious, beautiful reality there is. So if God did anything but draw us closer to him, you know what that would be? Not love. Because now that means God is drawing us to something second rate. God is drawing us to something less than the best there is. God himself. The most loving thing God can do is draw us to himself. And when do the faithful desire God the most? When are they the hungriest for God? In times of trouble. In a sermon that John Piper recently gave called Even When It Hurts, this is what he said, quote, the glory of God is revealed as a demonstration of love because to be loved is to see more of God even through pain. And faith is the receiving and the experience of that revelation of the glory of God as your treasure. End quote. Why does God allow times of trouble? Because there is an experience of divine love that is only revealed in times of trouble. And church, let us never, ever forget that the ultimate expression of divine love was seen where? At the cross. Meaning the ultimate expression of divine love is also the place where God underwent the most suffering in the form of enduring the worst there is, the wrath of God. Church at the cross, that is the intersection point. That is the place where we see the greatest outpouring of God's love. But also where God had to suffer the most for us. And Jesus endured the cross, although looking at it may have seemed to be an act of torture, may have seemed to be as if God was afar off. God was doing that so that now when God suffered for us, God could now justly give us infinite love. Jesus endured finite suffering on the cross so that God could now treat us with infinite divine love. And when we now realize, when we now rehearse, when we now understand what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross in his atonement for our sin, what is our response? Our response is the glory of God. Our response is, to God be the glory forever. Church, we began this morning asking why and now at the end we realize that we ought not to ask why first. There's a better question to ask. Because focusing on if we ask why first that means we're now focusing on whatever's going on we're not focusing on God so don't ask why first ask who because that's how Psalm number 10 ends Psalm number 10 ends by the psalmist focusing on God here's how Psalm 10 ends verse 16 to 18 the Lord is king forever and ever nations have perished from his land o oh lord you have heard the desire of the humble you will strengthen their heart you will incline your ear to vindicate the orphan and the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth will no longer cause terror now psalm number 10 ends with one of the most reassuring promises in the entire Bible where it says, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble, you will strengthen their heart." This promise is reassuring because it tells us God is there. And God does hear, God does incline his ear to hear the supplications of the humble. So although God may seem to be far away, his ears aren't. Although God may seem to be far away, he's never far from us in prayer. And God may not respond with an answer. God may not respond with an explanation. But he will respond by doing what? Strengthening our heart. And how does he do that? By giving us a taste of heaven here on earth. By pouring out his love and allowing us to see the glory of God. When God reveals by his love his glory to us more than more, the man who is of the earth will no longer cause terror because we are saturated in the love of God of heaven. Now, church, we began this morning asking why. But the Christian does not live by precise one-to-one explanations. We live by promises. And those promises are worth more than gold because they come from God. And God has given us a book full of promises, but he never promised to give us a clean answer to why right now here on earth. What he has promised to do is strengthen our hearts in the why so that we experience the love of God and behold his marvelous Glory. Now we began this morning asking God questions. Why? But now it's time to ask yourself a few questions. Ask yourself, which would you rather have? An explanation or Jesus? Which would you rather have? A note in your Bible? that satisfies intellectual curiosity, or a living, breathing, eternal God who comforts you and stands with you? Which would you rather have? A handful of reasons for why your trouble has been going on for so long, or would you rather have the love of God who hears the humble, strengthens their hearts, and vindicates the oppressed? not why, church, who? Let us pray. Lord, Psalm number 10 talks about times of trouble. But oftentimes when the righteous look out at the world, times seem to be troublesome all the time. And step by step and day by day, There are many things of this world that we cannot compute, we cannot understand, and we cannot fathom. We, O Lord, are limited by time. We are limited by right now. But you are the eternal God that transcends time. And as John chapter 11 tells us, you have written the end before the beginning gets started. So, Lord, we plead the promise now that you have heard the desires of the humble and that you will strengthen our hearts. So we entreat you, Divine Father, send the Holy Spirit and to strengthen the hearts of your people now so that in times of trouble they may not have clear answers as to why, but they may know, O Lord, that you are not afar off. You are always near in prayer. You will always comfort the heart of the afflicted, and you will always, as a loving father does, comfort and tend to the needs of his child. Strengthen us, O Lord, for if we stand by our strength, we will fall. But if we stand, Lord Jesus, in your strength, knowing that you suffered for us and that you already endured the worst there is, the wrath of God, there is nothing, Lord Jesus, that you cannot withstand. So strengthen us with your strength, invigorate us with your might, and illuminate us with your light that we shall reflect your love, and we shall reflect your light. And with who we are and how we respond in times of trouble, our focus and our goal will be one thing, the glory of God. Write, O Lord, that message on our hearts, so we shall remember you always and each and every way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We do hope that you have been enriched and equipped by the preaching of Dr. Sadafal. For more valuable resources, please visit wcsk.org. Until next time, peace be with you, and to God be the glory forever.